Thanks for listening to this sermon from Garden City Methodist Church. We want to invite you to worship with us each Sunday at 10.30 a.m., either in person or online. You can come to our beautiful sanctuary at 62 Varnado Avenue, Garden City, Georgia, or you can worship with us online as we stream our services at GardenCityUMC.com. Well, y'all, COVID has officially hit the Stout household. And while I can't be with you in person today, I'm so glad that technology has allowed me to deliver the Word of God uh, by video today. So thank you to those who helped set it up. Thank you to Becky Alford, especially, who arranged this projection for you so that we could continue in our series on the Beatitudes this morning, even though uh, some folks in my house, hopefully not me, but we'll see, time will tell, are down with COVID this week. Uh, we have been talking about this Sermon on the Mount and the upside-down ethic which Jesus calls us to live. And we've talked about the Beatitudes, how Jesus wants us to connect with our loss. We talked last week about the first part of the Sermon on the Mount in which we learned that the missing ingredient in there was grace and that Jesus was trying to set up for us how futile it is for us to live according to the law and how desperate our need is for grace. So this week, Jesus is actually continuing in that theme by applying this impossibility of living up to the law to several different instances of interpersonal relations, the way we, we love God by interacting with other people. So I've got a pastoral concern before we read this passage, right? Because this passage is one of those passages that's been used time and time again to, to hold people down. You see, we're going to talk about Jesus' teachings about divorce today. And if you're a divorced person, you might have heard this being used uh, against you in a way to imply that you are... Uh, I don't know, somehow less than. This is not how I believe Jesus is talking about divorce. I believe there's more to it than what we see on the surface level. So I want to encourage you that this is not the kind of sermon where I intend for you to walk away downcast, no matter what your situation. There is an encouraging word from the Lord. The good news of the gospel is in this passage, even when he's talking about divorce and even for those who have been through divorce. So without any further ado, let's actually read the scripture. We're going to start in Matthew 5, verse 20. We're going to go all the way through 37, so it's kind of long. Hang in there with me. Here's what it says. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not murder. And whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable for judgment. If you insult a brother or sister, you will be liable to the council. And if you say, you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. So when you're offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there at the altar and go. 
First be reconciled to your brother or sister, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're on the way to court with him. Or your accuser may hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the guard, and you'll be thrown in prison. Truly, I tell you, you will never get out until you've paid the last penny. You've heard it was also said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that anyone who divorces his wife, except on the grounds of unchastity, causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you've heard it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not swear falsely, but carry out the vows you've made to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Do not swear by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let your word be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything more than this comes from the evil one. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. That's a lot to take in, right? Let me ask you, have you ever tried to weasel out of something? Something that, you know, like you tried to follow the rules of something, but you're following the letter of the law, not the spirit of the law. You have never met a weasel until you've tried to get Roger Stout, my son, to eat broccoli. This kid (laughs) hates vegetables, most vegetables anyway. He especially hates broccoli. And so when we eat broccoli, uh, this poor kid just won't have it. So if I say, son, eat your broccoli, he'll say, how much broccoli do I have to eat? And usually he talks me down to one piece of broccoli. I'm saying, okay, does this count as a piece of broccoli? And he'll hold up the tiniest molecule of broccoli. And I'll say, no, you gotta eat more than that. Well, what about this? And he'll hold up two of the tiniest molecules of broccoli. Okay, fine, whatever, just eat that. And he'll try to eat that and then spit it out anyway. (laughs) Roger won't eat broccoli. But the point is, he is trying to figure out the least amount of broccoli that he can eat and still say that he ate his broccoli. He's trying to weasel out of eating the plate of broccoli by, by following the letter of the law, which is eat your broccoli, and missing the spirit of the law, which is get those nutrients inside your body, son. I remember when I was in high school, I went to this Christian school and we had this rule that you always had to have your shirt tucked in. Boys had to have their shirt tucked in. But um, man, everybody hated having their shirt tucked in. It was the late 90s and you just didn't walk around with your shirt tucked in. And so when a teacher would come by, guys would just take the very front part of their shirt and tuck that front part of their shirt in and act like they were about to reach around to the back. And then when the teacher walked by, they would just forget about it and pull their shirt back out. They would tuck the very least amount of fabric into their belts in order to comply with the don't tuck in your shirt rule while not really actually having their shirt tucked in. They're weaseling out of it. 
And I say this about the weasels because Jesus, I believe, is responding to a tendency that was in the people of the time to try to follow the letter of God's law, but weasel out of the spirit of God's law. And so we're going to go through these backwards, actually. I think this helps if we go backwards. We're going to start with oath-keeping, and we're going to go back to murder. And we're going to see how Jesus is calling us to live into the spirit of these laws and not worry so much about weaseling out of the letter of the laws. So we're going to start with oaths. Jesus said, you've heard it said, don't break an oath unto the Lord. See, people of this time had this habit of making oaths. And so if you say you're going to do something, you'd swear it on, I don't know, if you swear it, the higher you swear it, the more likely you were to have to do it. So if you swore something on the name of God, well, oh my gosh, you had to do it. But if you swore on your left pinky finger, then you might be able to get out of this. And so if someone tells you they're going to do something and they make an oath about it, you have to judge not only are they going to do it or not, but based on their oath, how likely are they to not do it? So if I'm going to swear on the tree in my backyard, is, is you know, I'm more likely to do it than my pinky finger? I'm certainly less likely to do it than if I swear by the name of God. And so there's this calculus that goes on any time you make an oath or receive an oath of, is this serious enough for me to hold you to it? Or are you going to try to weasel out of it by making an oath to this lesser thing that you don't care about? And so what Jesus is saying is that don't make an oath at all. Take this whole thing out of the equation. Because if you're doing this, you are you're compromising your integrity. And if you just are a person of integrity, so that someone knows if you say yes, the dog on it, that means yes, it's going to happen. If you say no, that dog on it, then you're down for that no. Then you are a person of integrity. Jesus cares less about um, which oath you make. Jesus cares less about how you're working out this whole system of oaths. And he cares more about your integrity. So rather than weaseling out, rather than following the letter of the law that, oh, I, I can make an oath that I, that I will be able to break, you follow the spirit of the law, don't make oaths at all, and have your word be your bond. That's what Jesus is talking about here. So then you go, we're going to go on to divorce. Divorce, and I already said, we're not here to beat up people who've gotten divorced. But Jesus said, you have heard it said, you got to give your ex-wife a certificate of divorce if you're going to divorce her. But I say, don't get divorced at all. See, it's interesting here how Jesus is only talking to men, right? Jesus says, men, don't divorce your wives. He doesn't say anything about the wives. Because actually, in those days, wives could not ask for a divorce. They just couldn't do it. That wasn't a part of their law. Only the husband could divorce the wife because she was like his property. And if a husband divorced a wife, that wife is out of the family. Well, the family was how they got their sustenance, how they got their, their food and their money. And that was their whole support system. And so what you're doing when you divorce your wife is you are kicking out, you're pulling the rug out from under her feet and taking her support system away. 
It's a cruel thing to do, especially when it's not for a very good reason. And there were men there who were divorcing their wives for no good reason, pulling their whole support system over there and leaving them destitute, and then saying, well, that's okay, because I got a certificate of divorce. And the law says, as long as I get a certificate of divorce, she's fine, she can go off and get remarried, she can show that certificate, and so she's someone else's problem. But that's rarely the way it worked out. And so Jesus is concerned about the people who are left behind in divorces. Jesus is concerned about those who are left destitute from the divorce. And so he says, unless there's a super good reason like infidelity, you should not be getting divorced because you should honor that commitment, like we said, that integrity that you made of your marriage vow and, and honor that and, and care about whether that person lives or dies, even if y'all aren't getting along right now. And I'm, a, I'm afraid because for so long, Christians have used this passage to do the opposite of what Jesus is doing. You have a woman who is in abusive marriage, but she hears, well, Jesus says you can't get divorced unless he cheats. And so she goes back to that abusive marriage and lives in that abuse. But Jesus was supposed to be taking care of the people in the marriage who were struggling and suffering. Jesus cares about the suffering. And so I think that, that this teaching, rather than don't get divorced under any circumstances except one, is more about care for your spouse enough, even in the situation of divorce, so that you're not ruining their whole life after. I think Jesus would have more to say to a person who gets divorced, even if the other spouse was cheating and tried to ruin their life forever, than he would in the circumstances of a person who got divorced because of abuse or something else. That's serious. Jesus does not is teaching against divorce for no good reason, but he is also teaching against the kind of situations where you leave someone at the end of your marriage destitute and struggling and without a way to fend for themselves. And if you're that kind of person who's so vengeful that you would try to take everything from someone, from your ex, just because you can, well, I think Jesus would have a harsh word to say to you. But if you're a person who is struggling, whose spouse has left and there's nothing you can do about it, or other circumstances have led to the ending of your marriage and, and you're trying as hard as you can to, to be as equitable as you can and you're trying as hard as you can to honor God and honor the other person, I don't, I don't think Jesus is out for you. And the thing is about it, <laughs> we treat you know, we're, we're going to talk about anger. We're going to talk about lust. We've talked about breaking an oath. You don't hold a lie over someone's head forever. You don't hold a lustful thought over someone's head forever. Why do we think it's okay to hold a divorce over someone's head forever? So just like we talked about last week, grace is the missing ingredient. And we got to read grace into this passage about divorce too. So, so Jesus is trying to get these men who are trying to weasel out of taking care of the wives that they promised to, to take care of their wives. And, and, and so now we're going to move on to adultery. So he's, Jesus says, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. And people 
I think in these days, in those days, as well as these days, are trying to weasel out of being faithful to their spouses by saying, well, I didn't cheat on them. But they're out there being lecherous creeps anyway. You can't just go out and be a lecherous creep as long as you don't physically go through the act of adultery and think that you're okay. And this is what Jesus is saying. You can't just you can't just weasel out of it because you didn't go through with the act. You are accountable for your weaseliness in that manner too. I was trying to say lecherous weaseliness, and that is a tongue twister, let me tell you. And so Jesus is saying, don't lust. You're responsible for what goes on inside of you. He says, better to enter heaven without a right hand or without an eye than to end up in hell. And so what ends up happening with Christians is that they read this and they say, well, I better not lust. And so they go from trying to police all of their actions to trying to police all of their thoughts. And you end up with these Christian books. There's a kind of cottage industry of these books where people are talking about, okay, well, so if you can't lust and you can't be in a room with a woman and you can't be alone with someone from the opposite sex and you've got to never look at anything even remotely uh, titillating and you can't even remotely, you got to just make sure you don't look and, and you got to focus and you got to keep yourself from lusting. But the problem with that is it's like saying, don't look at that. Don't think about an elephant. If the minute I say, don't think about an elephant, you're thinking about an elephant. That's kind of what this avoidance of lust is doing to people when they when they try to police their thoughts like this. And I think what Jesus is getting at here is rather than saying, well, I didn't cheat, so therefore I'm not guilty of adultery, what he wants us to do is to stop looking at other people as objects for our own pleasure. Don't look at other people. See, Part of, part of the problem is that when we're policing our thoughts so much like that, we're still viewing women or men as sexual objects for our own gratification. They're just sexual objects for our own gratification that we're not allowed to think about or look at. But if we start to think about people as full human beings who have an inner life, who are loved by Jesus, then we can say, well, that person sure is attractive, that person sure is beautiful, but that is not all that they are. And then we can start to get out of that trap of thinking of other people in that way. And I think that's what Jesus is getting at here. Rather than saying, well, I didn't commit adultery, so I'm good. We are on the hook for recognizing the, the value and the worth of all people and not reducing them to just their bodies. And then lastly, Jesus says, you've heard it said, do not murder. Well, yeah, okay, but people are trying to weasel out of this by saying, well, I'm no murderer, I'm fine. But there is a lot of harm that you can do to another person that falls short of murder, right? And if you're doing a lot of harm to a person, if you're, if you're verbally assaulting them all the time, if you're hating them, if you're trying to economically destroy them, or if you're trying to even just beat them up short of killing them, that's not okay either. And so we these people were thinking that they could do all kinds of harm to other folks, but as long as they're not murdering, then they're, they're still within the law. But you can't weasel out of it that way. Jesus says, you've heard it say, do not murder, but I say, don't hate other people. Don't get so angry at other people. Don't 
talk bad about other people. Don't try to destroy their reputations this way too. Don't even go to worship unless you're squared away with a brother or sister that you're in conflict with. Which, you know, today, if we realize we're at church and we are in, in conflict with someone, we can just call them up on our cell phone. They didn't have that. If they were at the altar and realized they had a conflict, they had to leave their sacrifice there, go walk, sometimes for days, if not hours, find that other person wherever they were, apologize, and then walk all the way back. This is a multi-day process which they had to go through in order to follow these commandments. Settle with an adversary out of court. Because if you're trying to destroy each other in court, that follows that does not follow the spirit of this law. The spirit of the law which says respect other people. God made that person. God loves that person. And so you are incumbent it's incumbent on you to love and respect that person too. It's about beginning to see people as Jesus sees them. And so these rules that Jesus made, I think there's, there's a couple of reasons that he talks about this. I think these are all ways in which Jesus is demonstrating that unless your righteousness is greater than the scribes or Pharisees, you won't enter in the kingdom of heaven. And just what that means and how hard that is to live by. I think Jesus is putting a, a pin in that point, each one of these places. You think you're doing good by following the law, but you're really not because your heart isn't in it. But I think the, the other point here, the thing that I think Jesus wants us to know is that righteousness, true righteousness, is not about rule following. It is about inner transformation. It's not, it's not about policing our every single action to, and judging whether our actions are okay or not okay, following the law or breaking the law. It's about being transformed into the kind of person who does not want to break the law any longer. Being transformed into a person who's, instead of trying to get away with what kind of oaths I get to break, has the integrity to make my word my bond. Instead of being the kind of person who goes out and makes sure I have a certificate and cross all my T's and all my I's and who cares about what my ex-wife thinks, is the person that cares about the person that I'm estranged from enough to try to take care of them and watch over them. Change me from the kind of person who, as long as I don't physically cheat, I'm okay, to, to being the kind of person that's not seeking after fulfillment outside of my marriage. To be the person who's not a lecherous creep, but, but sees other people for the value that goes beyond their bodies. The kind of person who, just because I'm not out killing or, or maiming people, doesn't mean I'm not trying to destroy them in other ways but is lifting up other people. That is what Jesus is getting at, is there is an inner transformation that real righteousness is all about. But that inner transformation cannot happen on our own accord. It just can't. If you try to, if you try to follow these ways of being, if you try to police every thought as well as every action, you're gonna end up doing one of two things, or probably both of these things, actually. You're either gonna become legalistic to the point that you are just sucking the soul out of yourself and other people around you, or you're going to try to be a weasel. You're going to make these compromises and you're going to say, well, you know, it's okay as long as I follow this rule. And we, we are going to try to get out of it because that's just human nature. 
or who will be the worst kind of person who's a hypocrite, who holds other people to these high standards and weasels out of it ourselves. The only way we are able to handle this kind of standard of righteousness is through the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit working in our hearts and through our lives for transformation, through the process of sanctification. And there's a lot of grace involved there. This guy is called sanctifying grace because God doesn't expect us to get it all right the first time. He knows we're going to slip. He knows we're going to get angry. He knows we're going to have those lustful thoughts, those stray thoughts that creep in. He knows that things go wrong in marriages. He knows that sometimes we say things that we can't follow through on. And so he's working to transform us into the kinds of people that don't do that anymore, but it is a journey of transformation and it doesn't happen all at once. And there's grace all along the way. So today, are you the kind of person who is always policing your actions? Because if so, that's got to be exhausting. Or maybe you're the kind of person who's trying to weasel out, who wants to technically be in the bounds, but is not following the spirit of the law. Because God says that does not honor him. The way to honor God is to commit yourself to the spirit of an inner transformation that can change our lives and sanctify us and transform us into the kind of person who sees the world around them the way Jesus sees it. And so if that's you today, I want you to pray with me and ask God to bring you that kind of inner transformation. Let's go to God in prayer. God, I thank you for this technology that allows us to share the word virtually. God, I, I don't, would never want to do this every week, but I'm glad it's available when we have it. Father, I pray for us that you will help us to not try to weasel out of your commands. Indeed, that you will make us even more faithful that you will give us the courage to be transformed by your Holy Spirit to the kinds of people who are not trying to weasel out and also aren't trying to be the police of our own or other people's actions, but have genuine love and concern for other people so that we can live in grace and act as sanctified individuals. Bring us along on that journey, God. Give us the grace when we fall and help us to Seek after you always. In your name I pray. Amen. Thanks, y'all. See you next week.